Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to The Daily Break. I'm Andrew Tallman. Here's what's happening today at Newsweek. It's been held out as the solution to all of our woes when it comes to energy production. No, it's not wind, nor solar, nor hydro, nor anything like that. It is nuclear, but it's the other kind of nuclear. Not fission, where you split things apart, but fusion, where you push them together. And according to a paper published in Physical Review E, scientists in the lab have created a fusion reaction that sustained itself. And trust me when I say this is a huge scientific breakthrough. Researchers at Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory's National Ignition Facility first recorded a case of ignition. That's the beginning. That's the thing they've been trying to do all of this time. That's like getting the car engine to turn over and start running for the first time. It actually happened last year, August 8th of 2021. But the results of that have just now finally been published in three peer-reviewed papers. And this is the way it goes in science. You do a thing and then everybody else verifies and validates that the thing can actually be done. And now it has. Now, the reason fusion is so highly touted as a way of generating energy, for one, is because it's a massively productive form of nuclear event. It's the process that powers the sun, for instance. So you see what we're talking about here. And basically what you have here is heavy hydrogen atoms collide with enough force that they fuse together to form a helium atom. This releases massive amounts of energy as a byproduct. And once the hydrogen plasma ignites, the fusion reaction becomes self-sustaining, meaning that the fusions themselves produce enough power to maintain the temperature without external heating. And that's the real key, a self-sustaining fusion reaction. Because if we could harness it, no fossil fuels would be required. The only fuel would be hydrogen. The only byproduct would be helium, which we use all the time and which we're actually in short supply of right now. So, you know, not to be too grandiose about it, but you're talking about ending the use, theoretically, if it can be controlled and contained, of every other form of energy there is. No more gasoline, no more coal, no more need for solar or wind or hydro or even traditional nuclear. But that's down the road quite a bit. For now, it was just the question of creating what they call an ignition, a kind of proof of concept that you could create a self-sustaining fusion reaction in the lab. So how does it work? In the experiments, what you do is you heat and compress a hot spot of deuterium tritium. That's hydrogen atoms that have an extra one or two neutrons. Normally, hydrogen doesn't carry any neutrons. Those neutrons are important for forming the helium. You take this hot spot of deuterium tritium fuel and you use a surrounding dense piston made from deuterium tritium also, creating a super hot, super pressurized hydrogen plasma. And what they call ignition occurs when the heating from the absorption of the alpha particles, that's two protons and two neutrons tightly bound together, created in the fusion process, overcomes the loss mechanisms in the system over a period of time. So just to give you a sense of the significance of this, there are more than a thousand authors included in the physical review letters paper, meaning there were more than a thousand people whose research over time contributed to making this possible. And if you're wondering what the yield was, well, the original one, which subsequent tests have not been able to duplicate, but they did get more than had ever been done before, but the original one that was just validated produced 1.3 megajoules in a few nanoseconds. Now, a joule is the amount of energy exerted when a force of one newton is applied over a meter. 
And I know for most people that means nothing. And so a megajoule would be a million of those. That amount of energy you can conceptualize. Imagine a one-ton mass moving at 100 miles an hour. The amount of energy in that is what they produced in a few nanoseconds, 1.3 of those. That's pretty impressive. And the upside is that, no, this isn't like when they're doing the Hadron Collider and you're doing experiments that run the risk of maybe creating a black hole and sucking the entire planet into it. Nothing like that. And now from the, man, criminals can be super creative if only they would use that crazy creativity in a productive way, we'd all be better off, file. A San Francisco resident recently came out to find a leaflet on her car advising her, quote, I don't want to steal anymore, but I still have bills to pay. Can you help me, please? And the note then listed three ways of paying money through Cash App, Bitcoin, or PayPal. You might say, what on earth? Well, think about how you would take that if it were left on your car. As this woman said, she was a little scared, a little rattled. She didn't know if they were going to come back to break into her car or anyone else's. And the prospect of having your car broken into unless you pay a little protection money ahead of time kind of had her rattled. She adjusted where she parked, how she parked. It did affect her. She said, actually... She didn't give any money, and it wasn't clear from the note that it was a threat, but certainly you can read between the lines. And she said that other cars that had the same flyer on it, including one of a co-worker who did receive it and did eventually send money to the person who left the note. In response, PayPal said that any illegal behavior is a direct violation of the PayPal user agreement, and any violations will result in an account being terminated. They're considering it extortion or a racket of some kind. If you paid in Bitcoin, of course, you can trace that at least to the wallet, if not to the actual person, obviously. But I think a lot of our valuation here depends on whether you perceive it to be a threat. I mean, if somebody left a note that says, hey, I'm a criminal, I tend to steal things, I don't want to steal anymore, but I'd love to have money, I'm not threatening you in any way. (laughs) It's hard to see how this would work, but, you know, it could just be a different form of begging, right? But if it's anything along the lines of, you know, I'm a thief and I'd prefer not to steal your car, so I assume you agree, pay me a little bit and we'll prevent that. I mean, that's the kind of crime that's as old as there have been people who were unwilling to work and wanted to threaten other people and try to make it a rational transaction to pay them off. Which is always the rub in these kinds of cases, right? You pay $100 in order to prevent a $500 piece of damage to your car, never knowing when the next threat's going to come. And finally, I have a new hero, a two-year-old girl in Turkey. And the story of how she became my hero has to do with a snake bite. Yeah, pretty horrific, especially for a toddler. I don't know about you, but snakes are terrifying because it's very hard to figure out quickly what kind they are. Oh, I know all the tricks and what you're supposed to look for and the diamond-shaped head and the eyes and the rattle, of course, is a dead giveaway. But still, knowing the difference between a venomous and a non-venomous snake is not easy. And snakes are fast. And my answer typically for any snake I find in the yard is the shovel. I know they do good things, but I just don't want them around, and the risk is always a little bit greater than I'm willing to bear. So in this case, you have a toddler who was bitten by a snake while she was playing with it. Maybe not the best choice, and why her parents weren't around, we don't know, but... In the village of Kantar, near Bengal, Turkey, on August the 10th, this little two-year-old was playing with a snake, and it bit her on her lip. It's the kind of thing you imagine from a movie, right? This horrible snake attached to her lip... And it wasn't venomous, thank goodness, but how did they get it off? Oh, they didn't. She bit it back. She bit it back so hard that she killed the snake. So yeah, when they took her to the hospital 24 hours later, she was doing just fine, recovering well, but this little girl bit back the snake biting her and killed it. As I say, my hero. 
That's it for the Daily Break. Be sure to head over to Newsweek.com for these stories and more, including our growing podcast lineup. And consider subscribing to our digital and print editions of Newsweek if you haven't already. Hit the five-star rating before you go, and I promise not to break into your car. I'm Andrew Tolman. Thanks for listening to The Daily Break, brought to you by Newsweek. Newsweek.